So I need four volunteers, two of which you're going to be blindfolded. So if you have a thing like a hat that you want to blindfold yourself with. All right. One, two, three, four. My man who stood up. My man who stood up for the meeting because he can blindfold himself. Get on up here. individual sticky notes and try to stick them to, them to themselves as much as possible. Every sticky note is worth one point. However, your teammate can take their sticky notes, which are minus three points, and stick them on your opponent. Wow. The oppo it, when, when you're blindfolded, you can touch any sticky note. So if you feel him put that sticky note on you, and you're like, man, get that off me. <laughs> like, you can, you can do that. You can take the sticky note off. He is allowed to pick it back up, though, and try to stick it back on you. And then you're, you're doing the same over here. So it's, yeah, so it's like the team wins when the per their person who's blindfolded has the most points. So if he has 10 sticky notes on him and then he's got like, there's only three minuses. Um, but it's like, if, he has, if he, all those are on, that's minus 10 points, and like they only have like, I think, 30 sticky notes. So, and you only, but you also only have 60 seconds. Okay. And so, choose your strategy. Um, can I get someone with a timer? My man, all right, so if you could set a timer for 60 seconds, go ahead and blind, blindfold yourself. Other, yep, go ahead. All right. All right, pull it all the way down. Oh, you know. Yeah, there we go. All right. Are you ready with the timer? Yep. On your mark, set, go!
Has anyone heard that phrase before? Imputed righteousness? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting term. It's like stuff that theolo- theologians use. I've um, come across it on a number of the books I read. I really, I really like reading theology books. And so sometimes I'm up here, I'm just like, man, this cool book, man. I'm just like, just tying different parts. Have you ever seen that meme where there's like a guy that has like a board with a bunch of different strings and points? It's just like, like that, that can sometimes be like my quiet times. <laughs> and sometimes turn into my lessons. But it's more of like, it's, this is just great stuff, guys. Like I, like, I did the quiet time lesson last year. I'm still having a great time in the Bible. Like, it's been a whole year. I've read, I've, like, read most of it again. And it's like, you can keep learning. <laughs> um, that's also going to be a point about grace. But, like, that's, like, so my lesson feels a bit disjointed around. It's because I've had seven years to, like, really try to live and experience grace. And, be, and like, try to be like, okay, what is imputed righteousness? And so it's just been a lot of learning and unlearning and growing. And so if you don't get grace, that's okay. I'm still learning it myself and I'm teaching a lesson on it. Um, but yeah, so imputed righteousness is this idea that you get, like, like righteousness just gets, like, jammed in you. It's like there's nothing that you can do about it. It just happens. Um, and there's nothing that you do that influences it, which sounds a bit like the definition of grace. But um, we're going to turn to Romans 5, because this is, like, one of the key scriptures that talks about... It doesn't... Paul is not like, yeah, guys, the one, like, the righteousness gets, like jammed up in you it's like that's not what he said but it's like but that's kind of like one of the key scriptures of where this doctrine of imputed righteousness comes from so you're going to start in verse 12 because context i was like i could start in verse 17 but i'm not going to do that because context is really important and so romans 5 verse 12 therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin And in this way, death came to all people because all sin. To be sure, sin was not in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is is the pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift of life that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in a condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so you might be like, okay, so like one man sins, there's trespass and death, and then we're back to grace, and then we're back to trespass and death. And it's like, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like you, have, you can sit through here and be like, okay, like what kind of tongue twister is going on right now? But it's like, one, if Paul, who had, like, you know, seen God, like, had these different revelations, is having kind of, like, what seems to be 
somewhat is a really convoluted way to try to explain grace and righteousness and how we deal with sin. It's like, you're probably not going to get a super straightforward answer for yourself immediately, not even from this lesson, um, because I'm not trying to simplify it for you guys. But we see all these things about what grace is. It says that grace abounds. It's a free gift. It justifies. It gives us dominion over life. And it says that we are made righteous. It says we're made righteous, which is really different. Because all the Jews before was like, okay, like we do the things to be righteous. God is like, okay, I want you to be a holy people. And you do that by, here's a fat stack of rules. And there's like sacrificial systems and like people that got to be put outside the camp because of leprosy. Then you can bring them in on certain times and you got to take care of the poor. It's like, there's all these things going on like that. But righteousness was not something that you were made by God. That's what he's talking about the law. He's like, hey, like, this law was death. And it's really important that we had that. Because, like, without the law, then, like, how could there be sin? And then if there's not necessarily sin, then there's no need for grace. And so, like, there needs to be something there. Like, theologians are really confused. And Paul was probably, and, like, they're probably like, hey, Paul was also probably a little bit confused. Because, like, God gave the law and then he brings in this grace thing. But it's this... It's this confusing thing <laughs> that's really cool as well because what we see here and what Paul is claiming is like is that it's a totally different system that we're not we're not worried and we're okay like okay like am I below the certain threshold and now I need to like go back to the temple bring my doves bring my lamb and then I get to even and then I keep doing the works of righteousness and then once I fall down then I bring a sacrifice and I keep doing the works of righteousness. It's that it's not this clean slate. And so it's really, it's like where it says this, and why I say that grace abounds is because there's this, it says that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And that's why, like, in Romans 6, where, where Paul is like, hey, do we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And he's like, surely not. And it's like, well, you just said earlier, man, that <laughs> it's like, like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> But it's like this idea, it's like, you know, like, that grace is what makes us righteous. There's actually a, another scripture in 2 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, if you don't want to read the Greek. <laughs> but, um, in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 16 through 20, it says, So now, from now on, regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though no one regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, so that God was reconciling the world to himself and in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he, com and he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore as Christ's ambassadors, as through God we are making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And if you just read this bit, and you didn't read to the end of the chapter, you might kind of come to this conclusion of like, alright, yeah, it's like, our sins have been forgiven, and we now are Christ ambassadors, and so we've got to go out there and like do, do stuff, and it's going to be great, and like we're, we're committed, and it's awesome, and it's like, 
But we don't, um, we, it's like, that's just kind of where it's at. And so I really don't like the analogy, like, you see these different analogies on, like, Facebook or stuff, where someone, like, has this cup of dirty water, and they pour something in it, and suddenly it's clean, they're like, yo, man, that's what, that's what Grace does. And it's like, I really don't like that, because it's kind of like, you just returned it to a normal state. Like, that's the clean slate idea. And it's not like, oh, we just boil the water, it turns into steam. That's great. That's, that's not it either. Because verse 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is what you become. And it's not saying, okay, like, you work up to the righteousness of God, or you are adding righteousness. You become. It is a passive thing that happens to you. And so God is making this holy thing. He made himself, his son, this holy thing, no blemish, to become sin. So that sinful things could become infinitely holy. And it's like sometimes when we like look at the cross, we're like, oh yeah, why did, why did God say, Eli, Eli, namasalachtani? My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? It's like this idea that that was the first time that like Jesus had experienced sin. And since God is holy, he can't be with things that are sin. And so he suddenly is separated. A, like a piece of the Trinity is now ripped from itself because it's now unholy. Like God tore apart his own relationship with his son and also himself. To give you the chance to enter into that relationship. Mm-hmm. And to have a relationship with others. Mm-hmm. In the same way that you can... That, do you treat people who sin against you in a way that God has not treated you? Mm-hmm. There's a quote that I'm going to read later from Uranus, who's, a, who's a, one of the anti-Niacene like, church Elders. And he says, like, thank goodness God does not deal with us according to our works, for if he did, we would all cease to exist. Mm-hmm. Do you treat other people in the way that God has not treated you? In the way that you actually so deserve? And when people sin against you or, or make you cross or just like make you feel the wrong way, you're like, okay, well, I'll distance myself. Mm-hmm. Or you behave like a God who ripped apart an infinitely eternal relationship the opportunity to bring you in and to make you exactly like his son. That's what imputed righteousness is. Is that you are getting given the righteousness of God. Like, we come into and we get this grace and it's not like, okay, I'm now at this blank straight, like this blank slate. No, don't trap yourself into a new sacrificial system. Like, that's not what God has brought us into. God has brought us into this new, incredible relationship where we get, like, all the good stuff on the front end. Like, the people who, like, like followed a pillar of smoke and fire through the desert did not have the opportunity to have God dwell within them. And did not have the opportunity to dwell with God in the way that we do. Like, it would, you'd be like, oh, Moses, what was it like to like, come up and see God on a mountaintop and, like, Part the Red Sea, and you'd probably be like, Yeah, what was it like to have God living inside you? Like, I didn't have that. Mm. Like, that's a part of what grace is. Is this this eternal righteousness that is suddenly yours. It's like, okay, now God's like, Yo, that's my boy Jesus right there. Looks like it. Got the righteousness. 
But so often we trap ourselves into like what you saw up here with the sticky notes. As soon as the, they felt the pressure from that red sticky note, they respond. They're like, okay, like, let, me get away, like, let me get away from that. And they try to take it off. Like Christian ripped off some of his real stick, the blue sticky notes trying to get rid of the red ones. That's often how we can deal with our sin. Where it's like something comes in that makes it, it's like, oh, this is, this is bad, this is detrimental, and we immediately stop what we're doing and try to address it, which is not wrong. Like, we need to address sin. Like, that is, that is clear. But what happens when it doesn't immediately come off? Are you now frustrated? Are you, like, kind of, like, skirting around, like you're trying to avoid it? And it's like, because what happens is it, is you start getting so focused on the sin itself and like in the, when outside of the sticky notes is that you can get so focused on that and so like oh my gosh like what is going on like I'm such a I'm a bad disciple like I don't want to get open like this is so hurtful that you stop like in this now you stop putting on sticky notes and so you've totally changed this reality and so it's like sin kind of like throws you off you're like oh man I'm trying to get above zero like I'm like swimming here we're trying to keep our head above water. But imagine how different the game would be if they were just covered in a million sticky notes from the start. And if the, the sticky notes that took off points didn't stick. Because that's what imputed righteousness is. It's like, because, it's just what it is. It's like God sees you in the same way that he sees Jesus. Like Jesus didn't like come up up the grave and he's like, okay, now I got some sin and it's a normal dude. Like, like. You, like, you get to participate in that resurrection. Like, that is, that is your reality. Like, the sin is no longer sticking to you. And it's like, and we can either keep the struggle of, like, I'm trying to stay above this certain line of sinfulness. I'm, like, struggling. I'm, I'm keeping water. Like, the sin starts weighing me down. Like, there's a rock in my pocket or something. I'm going to deal with that. Toss it out. Keep swimming. Or it's like, hey, we're already standing on the beach. I think that's been one of the big things for me that's really impacted my like, spiritual walk is that if I'm so focused on like kind of bringing myself out of this blank slate, one, I'm so focused on myself that I'm not like I'm not like reaching out for help, but I'm also like not living this reality of what God has really called me to. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, in many ways, I'm like, okay, like this grace gift is not enough. Like I, I don't trust that. I'm I like. I, I get trapped in this like worldview. It's like okay, we have to do things. Like that's how. Like every other religion is like okay, you need to get to a certain level of goodness, and then you're good. And we can get trapped in that. Also, because like the Western world is like that's how you get a good job. If you do good, you get rewarded. And and this is so different from what. God is really calling us to, and what imputed righteousness is all about is that it's just. Given, it's like you don't you don't earn it. It's just like you you submit to like repentance, discipleship, baptism, and it's like you just get it. <laughs> and then you get to live out this reality of like, hey, you have become the righteousness of God. And it's a lot easier to live that to live that out when you're in your brain. You know that's your reality. Or it's like where Paul says later, hey, we we've died to sin. It's like. Yeah, if you believe in, in truth, in your brain, like, hey, I've died to sin, it's a lot harder to sin. <laughs> like, I, I've found that to be true in my life in ways that is both, like, spiritual, but also, like, in terms of habits. Like, when I built my habit around, okay, like, I, I work out in the morning and I eat healthily, like, it slowly became, like, less and less do I want to, like, just eat a bunch of donuts. 
Because that's not the reality of my life anymore. And that's a really simplistic idea, but like when we can get into our heads, hey, like I am the righteousness of God. <laughs> it's like it, it makes it a lot harder to like grieve the spirit and take the spirit into these situ- sinful situations because you're like, what am I doing? Like this is not who I am. And like when you know who you are, it makes you act a lot different. And when you understand the, the reality of grace, it should really impact you. And so talk more about how that impacts us on the way. Hey everybody, my name is Sydney. Uh, thanks so much for sharing all that PM. I think for me, I hear that just idea that when I became a disciple, I got to take on the righteousness of Jesus. That's amazing. And I know for me, I don't always live that way. I think when I make mistakes, when I sin, I panic and, you know, I, sometimes it's hard to approach God and it just gets, gets really hard to walk with God because of my weaknesses. Um, but remembering, man, I have the righteousness of God changes everything. And, you know, I just want to share some of the things that have really helped me in my perspective on grace and knowing how to live it out. I love in Ephesians 6. Um, most of you have probably read this passage before on the armor of God. Um, but I really love how in verse 17, one of the components of the armor of God is the helmet of salvation. And I think it's, it's intentional that our salvation is what really protects our minds and protects our heads. And I think when we think about how we stand before God, when we think about how God views us, when we think about his love, that really protects the way that we think about our lives and the way that we think about our discipleship. It's protective. Um, and so building deep convictions on how God views us on grace is like putting on our helmet <laughs> against the, the arrows of Satan. Like, no, I'm secure before God. Um, you know, and, and Satan, he can't trans- transfer us back into the darkness. And we've decided Jesus is Lord. I'm choosing him. I'm getting baptized. You know, he cannot do that. He doesn't have that power. But he does have the power to make us feel like that reality isn't true. Um, He can tell us lies about where we stand before God. He can tell us lies about how God views us. Um, And really believing and knowing what God says about our life with God and how he views us protects us against Satan. Um, I also love the language that's used in the book of Ephesians when it talks about grace. I don't know about you guys, but it's really easy for me to think that grace is begrudging. You know, I think about God in the Old Testament, and sometimes I can feel like, wow, God had to muster up a lot of self-control to forgive me. (laughs) At my baptism, he must have just pulled it together and just gave me the gift of forgiveness because he had to. But that's not what we see in the scriptures. Um, You know, if you look at the language that talks about grace, um, you know, it says in chapter 1 of Ephesians that he blessed us in every spiritual blessing. He's given us his glorious grace. It talks about the riches of his grace and that he lavishes it on us. And I love that idea of lavishing, like putting it everywhere. And I think it describes God's heart, that his heart is not begrudging with grace, but it's joyful. Um, I love the scripture in Luke chapter 1, verse 78. And it's talking about God sending Jesus to earth. And it talks about the tender mercy of God. And that idea of tender mercy, I think about that with a child. Like, 
if, if my little nephew does something to hurt me, I'm like, oh, of course I'll forgive you. Of course, it's okay you stepped on my toe. It's tender. It's not begrudging. Um, and I think remembering that God views me with tender mercy really protects my mind. Um, when I do something out of selfishness, when I think something I shouldn't, say something I shouldn't, when I remember, man, God views me with tender mercy, it helps me be able to run back to him. Um, I love Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. And it says that the Lord longs to be gracious to his people. You know, it's not, oh, I guess I have to, but God looks for opportunities to show us grace. And I think the way that we believe, what we believe about God transforms the way that we approach him. Ephesians 3, verse 12 Or starting in verse 11, it says, This is according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access of confidence through our faith in him. And I love that language. We have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And I, I love it every morning or whatever time that you set aside to spend with God, we can walk towards him with boldness and confidence because of our faith in Jesus. And I wanted to ask, do those, those qualities describe your walk with God? You know, when you go on a prayer walk or open the scriptures or begin to pray, do you think about having boldness and access with confidence towards God? Um, Hebrews 4, verses 15 through 16, we're going to read there. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet it yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. And again, it talks about we can draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. Um, that we can, refine, we can find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Um, I think Paul and his letters shows us a great example of what it looks like to put on the helmet of salvation. And if you know Paul's story in the New Testament, he persecuted Christians. He has this, this past where he hurt a lot of people. He was responsible for really dark things. And when he became a disciple, I'm sure he was really tempted to let his past define the way he thought about his walk with God. And if you look at all of the intros to all the letters that Paul writes, Cameron mentioned this, but he usually starts off and says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. And then he goes on and says, grace and peace to you. And, you know, if Paul had let his past and his sin define the way he viewed God— we wouldn't have a lot of letters written like that. You know, if he had let his, his sin define the way that he viewed God, he would not have the strength and power and resilience to go on and help people become Christians, to shape the, the history of the church. Um, but there is something about his walk with God and his security in that, that he could start letters off and define himself by a servant of God chosen by Christ Jesus. And we have the ability to do that, too, in every part of our lives. To decide, man, God is right when he says that I am clean. And I wonder if Paul ever thought about Psalm 51 
And this is David's song of repentance and grief over his sin. And in verse 7, um, David says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. And I, I just wonder, did Paul think about this, this psalm he thought about God forgiving him? That, you know what, God, wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. That's true, and I can go on and live my life, and that's security. Um, but I wanted to ask, what parts of your walk with God are you missing out on? Because... You don't embrace this truth about your walk with God. And I encourage you to think about that and to go through and read through Ephesians and read all the times that grace is mentioned. Um, And I also want to encourage you, if you hear these things and you actually wonder a lot about when grace happens and when salvation happens, I'd encourage you to talk to someone, to to study it out, um, because there is a really specific point that righteousness is imputed on us, and we do receive these different gifts from God. Um, but Cam is going to close us out. I think just to, that's why I like, one of the reasons I felt in love with Sid so much is this like, Sid is in love with God more so than me. And I think that's really what grace allows us to be, is in love with God. Because if you feel like you're in this blank slate system, it can be really easy to fear God. To be like, to think like God is like this kind of weird taskmaster that has like all these things that he wants me to do. And if I don't measure up on it, like, hell. And, like, and that is agonizing. That's not what God sent his son for. He sent his son so you could be connected to him. That you could love him. That you could experience the closeness of a relationship that Jesus, the Spirit, and the Father have together. And so if you're feeling like, hey, that's not kind of the reality that I'm experiencing, you need to study grace. <laughs> like, stop being prideful and just study it. It's like, it's, that's going to be the thing that carries you to the end. You're not going to be able to make blank slate to death. You're going to end up forsaking God. And that, that's the real hell. That's, that's where grace is. Right? When you forsake God and say, like, that's it. And like the reason it can be so easy to choose that is because it feels not that different. It feels more free to forsake God because it's like I just don't care about the blank slate anymore. But if you're like, hey, I'm giving up imputed righteousness or I have like all this stuff, like everything I do doesn't matter. Like God sees me as his beloved and cherished son. It's like I can live in that. <laughs> even when it's hard for me, even when other people are sinning against me, like I can, I can Show people that grace. Could you imagine what Paul's outlook on Christianity would have been like if he's like, okay, I decide I'm going, I'm going to follow this Christ dude, and then all the Christians are like, no, we hate you. We don't forgive you. Un- unforgivable. We cannot show you grace. Like, what would have happened? Would we be reading these? It's like the grace that God gives enables us to give that grace to others and have grace on ourselves and live connected to God and to each other and and ultimately to, to be more free. But this freedom is not supposed to be taken advantage of. Now, my fourth and final point is that there is a balance to grace. And it's picking it up in Romans 6, continuing Paul's dialogue. We put it in chapters later. This is not a new thought of Paul. This is just continuing. 
He's like, continuing, he's like, yeah, just so that sin reigned in death. And when we get to now in, now in verse, in chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means! We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For we have been united with him in death like his. We will certainly also be united in him with a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified and done away with. So that the body that was rolled by sin might be done away with. That we might no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died will be set free from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Wait, I lost my place. Death no longer has mystery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. And so the reason we can't go on sinning is because that isn't our reality anymore. You're not seeing like, it like, it's like, it's like, I don't know, like some animal, like we'll say a, a male cow. You're not walking up to that and like, yo, give me some milk, dog. Like, like in, in the same way, like, if we're instruments of righteousness, we have this imputed righteousness, it would be really weird to be like, okay, this instrument of righteousness is sinning it up right now. Like, and it's like, if that's like, you're, like, that's what it looks like for sake God is to be like, okay, like, I'm just going to, like, be completely contrary to my nature. It's like, I'm no longer under the law, I'm under grace, but, like, you know, I don't, I don't want to know that stuff. Like, let me, let me love the shadows. Like... That, that's not how grace was designed to be. That's why Paul is like, by no means. Like, he's like, I'm explaining this convoluted grace thing. And it's like, but please don't take advantage of it. That's not what it's supposed to be. Because God has called us into this imputed righteousness. And you're just living out the reality. Like, that's what the second part is. You're not reading in two chunks. We're like, okay, yeah, we got grace. And then, like, okay, and then there's a school grace bit. And then we also got the works bit. And that, that's where, like... Why there's such a big spectrum is people are like, yeah, we really like this, like, sin, when sin increases, grace increases all the more. And then we, like, and we have these people that are like, yo, do not offer any part of yourself as instant wickedness. It's like, and we end up on, like, two sides. But it's really, it's, it's the middle. It's like, this is one passage. And so, it, and, like, that's the other thing about, like, it, it, what, like, imputed righteousness is getting, is, like, Helping you live that out. And it's like when it says that, okay, when we get baptized, we participate in a death and resurrection like his. And we know that when, like, with, like, death, if you die, like, you're not paying debts. But two, it's like we get resurrected like Jesus. And as I mentioned before, he didn't come out like just some normal dude now. He's like, there, there was not sin on him. He died taking our sins, came back totally righteous. We get to participate in that. 
And it says that's where we get this imputed righteousness. And it's really important that that's where you get imputed righteousness because baptism is not something you do. It's something that's done to you. This comes, this is like, it comes out in like, I speak Arabic and that like when you look at the grammar of like, like the word for baptism in Arabic and when you look at other languages, it's a passive verb. It, you can't baptize yourself. Like there's actually this, this like pseudo gospel called the Gospel of Thecla and everyone wanted to put it in because it's actually really cool. But like the reason they didn't put it in is because Thecla baptizes herself and everyone was like, this can't be true because we don't baptize ourselves. We are brought into baptism by the community. And that's why the Gospel of Thecla didn't make it. And because you're brought into, like you get the imputed righteousness. It's not your stuff. You're not like, oh man, my boy, Jake is so righteous. Let, let me give him some more of that. It's like, no, that's not it. It's, it's to spite ourselves. And so I know that's really convoluted and there's a lot of stuff, but like grace is really confusing. I'm still figuring it out. And I think, and you can like, and what I want to get through is that this lesson was not designed to be like, okay, you guys totally understand grace now. Like, have a good day. But more of like, this is something to really study out. To change your perspective a little bit, but to more, I want to equip you guys with the hunger to study that out for yourself. This convoluted thing I'm saying has been like months of studying grace for myself because of my own walk with God needing that. I got told I was doing the grace lesson a week before, and I was like, amazing. <laughs> like, I don't have an, anything, like, I'm like, I've got all these assignments to do for my PhD. I'm a PhD student, by the way. But, like, <laughs> I've got all these things. But, like, I love grace because I've studied it. I love it. It's, like, getting, like, it's so intricate. Like, it's, it, like, Paul describes it at one point as, like, this mystery. And so you get to, like, just like you get to learn about God, like, every night, you get to learn about grace so much more and experience it. Not just in scriptures, but in, in the reality of that loving relationship with God. And so, to just kind of end out, what I want to do is I want to read some of the quotes from the early church fathers. Of them discussing grace. It's like something separate from the scriptures. But also, there's like these people that were like, live, like they knew <coughs> apostles. What they say about is like the, the role of, of grace and faith in salvation. And you're going to see it's like, it's a mixture of things. And so, all right, this is from Clement of Rome, 96. So not too far after Jesus. It says, all of these persons, therefore, were highly honored and were made great. This was not for their own sake or for their own works or for the righteousness which they wrought, but through the operation of his will, capital H. And we too, being called by his will in Jesus Christ, are not justified by ourselves, nor are we justified by our own wisdom, understanding, godliness, or works that we have done in the holiness of heart. Rather, we are justified by that faith through which, from the beginning, Almighty God has justified all men. It says, Into this joy many persons desire to enter. They know that by grace you are saved, not by works, but by the will of God through Christ. But him who raised him up from... I gotta go to oh, man, I accidentally cut it off. My bad, guys. <laughs> but um, that was also coming to Rome. But it's basically saying through him we're raised up and we get this fullness of life. He says, another one from uh, Uranus. Christ redeems us righteously from the apostasy by his own blood. But as regard from those who have been redeemed, he does this by grace. For we have, been get, we have given nothing to him previously, nor does he desire anything from us. 
as if he stood in need of it. When man is grafted in by faith and receives the Spirit of God, he certainly does not lose the substance of his flesh, but changes the quality of the fruit of his works. This is what it means to be drawn by the Father. This is Clement of Alexandria, a different Clement. It means to become worthy to receive the power of grace from God, so as to run without hindrance. For by grace we are saved, but not indeed without good works. Rather, we must be saved by being molded for what is good, acquiring an inclination for it, and we must possess the healthy mind that is fixed on the pursuit of good. For this we have the greatest need of divine grace, of right teaching, of holy susceptibility, and the drawing of the Father to himself. Perhaps then it is that the Father himself draws to himself everyone who has led a pure life and has reached the, con the conception of the blessed and incorruptible name, or perhaps the free will that is in us, by reaching the knowledge of the good, leaps and bounds over the barriers, as gymnasts say. Either way, it is not without eminent grace that the soul is winged, soars, and is raised higher above the spheres. And so that's what grace enables us to do. It enables us to have our flesh be, and, our, and our works transformed. It enables us to have our, soar, our souls soar high. It's not this trap that we get stuck into with sacrifice and to believe that we're at this blank slate and we've got to work, 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 work. It's like we just get to live in the reality that God has imputed righteousness to us and views us in the same way as his son and his daughters. And so I entreat you guys to study this out. Learn more about grace. Like learn to love God in the way that he loves Christ. Because that's how he loves you. Because when we can live in that reality, we're going to have the longevity to run with endurance and to make it to the end. I want to be standing there with you guys like when, when the judgment day comes and we're, we're up in heaven. Like I want you guys to be there. But if you got, it, it's going to be really hard for us to be there together, for you guys to be there if you don't understand grace. If you're running feeling like you're chained down. If, if every time someone sins against you, it's like, man, I'm going to leave the church. <laughs> like, like, I'm, I'm going to do it and then someone like, brings it back in. It's like, we can live in a community of connected, connectedness to God and to each other because of what God has done for us. And, yeah, that's my lesson. <laughs> so, I know it's a lot of, lot of stuff, <laughs> but yeah, but uh, yeah, I believe the next on the schedule is one? lunch. So yeah, like I, I encourage you guys to to choose someone from the lesson that you don't know and get lunch with them and talk about some of the things that you guys have learned about grace or like what struck you in this class. Don't don't let it be okay. Now I'm just gonna go to lunch and I'm gonna go hang out with friends. Just take even just take the walk down. Be like, hey, what was impactful? What do I want to study out? And yeah, and yeah, that, have a good one, guys.